0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit RT11.com.
1: Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a senior producer at the Feed Feed. The Feed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag FeedFeed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Chef Jeremy Salomon. Jeremy is a chef primarily focusing on Jewish and Eastern European cuisine He is also a restaurant owner and entrepreneur, having just opened Aggie's Counter in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, last fall. Aggie's Counter is named after Jeremy's Hungarian grandmother, Aggie, and the spot opened as a lunch counter, and all-day cafe bakery. They're now serving all meals, and with heavy Jewish and Eastern European influences, Aggie's is Jeremy's first solo venture. He was previously the executive chef of The Eddie and Wallflower. Wow, what a uh, resume you've got there, my friend. <laughs> that is
3: a, that's a mouthful, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let's run this back to the very, very beginning. I want to learn about kind of how you started becoming, falling in love with food and turning this into a career. So tell me where you grew up and who was kind of your first inspiration with food.
3: Sure. Uh, my uh, So I grew up in Boca Raton, Florida,
1: Oh my gosh. Wait, I live, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. Well, Weston.
3: Oh my God. Uh, we, we probably know people. Uh, yes, I'm sure we
1: do. <laughs> uh,
3: it is a very small town, uh, even though it seems pretty big, but yeah, uh, I grew up in Boca Raton, Florida, uh, with a lot of, uh, elderly people. Yes. Both carts and Jewish delis. And, um, my, I don't know, my first... Of my my inspiration, uh, I would say is were were my two grandmothers um, and also my mother. So, you know, predominantly the women in my life, uh, since they provided for the family food wise and uh, and and in many other ways. And I, I just that was very inspiring to me. So, yeah,
1: amazing. So, are you? What are your ethnicities on both sides of your family?
3: Yeah. So, uh, on my father's side. Uh, I am Hungarian, so second generation Hungarian. Um, my grandmother spent some time uh, in Austria, but she was born and raised in Budapest. And her husband, my my grandfather, was born in Czechoslovakia. Um, which, yeah, that's a complicated history there. But <laughs> yeah. uh, but Hungary, uh, pretty much all around. And then, interesting, uh, interestingly enough, we just found out. So my mother was a she knew, but she was adopted, and. Uh, her parents uh, are Sephardic Jews, mm-hmm. uh, and but she just took a, like one of those tests and found out that she is also Hungarian. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, Hungarian, a little Russian and Polish, but predominantly Hungarian. So by blood, I'm I'm Hungarian all around.
1: Yeah, you're very you Euro- Eastern European, like through yes. and through, pretty much. <laughs> yeah,
3: dill is in my blood. Yeah. Yes.
1: So, what type of food did you grow up eating? Obviously, I'm familiar with growing up in South Florida, and there's uh, you know a lot of different influences down here. And you know, we're I don't know which side of your family or who was doing most of the cooking at home, but what was some of the uh, the food that you grew up eating and enjoying?
3: Yeah i I grew up on a very American '90s diet.
1: Oh, <laughs> and, yes. And, Sam- and-
3: <laughs> in Boca Raton, Florida, uh, I wish it was some sort of, you know, whimsical story that I ate all these, you know, exotic Eastern European foods. And I guess, and I guess I did to to an extent. Um, but really, you know, my grandmother, Agi only cooked for us. She would cook one day a week at a big family dinner, like on a Saturday or Sunday night. And she had goulash, which is like braised meat, and she had mm-hmm. no kedli, which is, like little teardrop dumplings, and you know all these other sort of Hungarian dishes, but it was intertwined with eggplant parmesan and steak mm-hmm. Diane, and and just kind of all these um, American staples. Uh, but otherwise than that, I mean, I mean, I had a cheesecake factory right down the street from me. Yes, uh, my mother packed me a PB and J sandwich. Uh, she made meatballs at night, and I don't know. So I, I think it, like a pretty standard, you know, childhood American diet.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I always talk. It's it's interesting on the podcast. Sometimes I'll have someone who, I don't know, grew up in China or something and then moved right. over here. And it's so funny to, you know, hear about how much better they were eating <laughs> than we sure. were growing up, like especially in the 90s where everything was like slime and like green ketchup and like those kid cuisines with just like and Lunchables and all these like disgusting, like processed. Um, like, we were not doing it right back then, and I feel like. I mean, honestly,
3: what what a time to be alive! It was a time.
1: <laughs> it was a moment in history. Yeah. It was something that I just remember. I would go to the blockbuster with my dad to pick out movies for the weekend, and I'm so grateful that now he would never. You know, you'd be st- standing in line at blockbuster, and there'd be these like gross, you know, containers of like candy that were like slime, sour goo or whatever. And I'd always be like, daddy, daddy, I want those so bad. And he'd be like, no, that's disgusting. Like you <laughs> don't want that. And he would never buy me the like slime goo candy. And now I'm like, you know what? I think that was for the best. I I think we came out on top, but I did. I definitely, you know, was eating the frozen pre-packaged, you know, all the colors and dyes and artificial everything. And then I'm very glad that as a society, we realized like, huh, we what stop. if we tried eating <laughs> real food? What, what a novel idea. So um, I totally, totally get it. <laughs> so you. who was it or when was it that you started being so passionate about cooking yourself?
3: Yeah, it probably wasn't until I was like 10 or 11 and my, my mom's mom, Arlene, she belonged to uh, this club and she had asked the chef, um, if he would uh, entertain uh me with a job of some sort, and so she harassed him, and finally I got I got this like apprenticeship, as uh, if you would call it. Um, yeah. where I was kind of, I mean, I didn't know that it was called a. Size. Yeah, I was going to say I'm um, just throwing
1: around lingo, so I sound yeah, good. <laughs> I
2: was,
3: Well, that's pretty good. No, <laughs> I mean, you. definitely a cool word. Uh, but yeah, I. I guess I would. I took on a, a job, uh, like one or two days a week after school, and they started out by putting me in the freezer with uh, a big uh, jacket, and I would uh, have my CD player, and I'd listen to music while I scooped uh, ice cream and sorbets into Fine. martini glasses okay. uh, for, for big banquets. So that was my that was my start, and I think it really began because I don't know. I always go. Back, I mean. I I could I could attribute it to my to my mother, who always likes to remind me that I was very impatient. Uh, I was a very impatient diner in restaurants. So I never wanted to sit sit still, you know, I was definitely the the child that screamed or cried like that nobody, (laughs) nobody wanted to deal with. Oh, boy. Um, So she created this sort of a distraction where she would say, okay, Jeremy, you're going to cook the food and using the utensils and like the sugar packets at the table, we would make each dish that we ordered. And she would kind of like, hopefully time it up where the food came out behind, you know, out of the kitchen. She'd be like, oh great. You cook the food. And I don't like, I remember doing that. Um, but she likes, she likes to say that, oh, I'm the reason why (laughs) I don't know if that was the reason but uh definitely I ate very well as a child and uh I think just the women in my life were were very proactive in, in getting me engaged in the kitchen so well
1: that's lovely and so when did you you decided at a certain point to go to culinary school what was kind of the journey there
3: yeah, I was it was always drilled in me to go to culinary school. Um all the chefs all the that I all the jobs that I had had throughout high school and middle school everyone was telling me I had to go, so so I went and went to the Culinary Institute of America, uh which is in Hyde Park, New York. Oh yeah. And uh very uh the Hogwarts of cooking schools yes. and um it was yeah, it was great. Uh it was also just not for me. <laughs> so a year a year in I I dropped out um and yeah, I just had I had come from a working background and even with cooking in uh throughout my childhood and in professional kitchens and my my grandfather and my father were in business together. They owned a uh surgical supply business and a pharmacy. So I would sometimes work the counter, I work so I have just I've just been working and I and school just didn't give me that. Uh, so I figured why why put myself through this? I can just pay to be learned. Yeah. Uh, pay to learn. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I don't wanna, you know, talk bad about culinary school, but I've heard that a lot from I did not personally go to culinary school. Um, I, I would have loved to, but it was, you know, not I went to traditional college. So at the time, you know, I was. Yeah you know, you graduate and you work, it's not like, okay, let me spend more money to and also not make any income for more time. Um, So but people as I've gotten into food media and met a lot of different people throughout different, you know, aspects of the culinary space, whether that's working at a restaurant or creating content or, you know, working for food media, it's it be it becomes more and more apparent that just Get, you know, like cutting your teeth, whether that be in the restaurant or in your own kitchen recipe developing, just actually doing it and learning that way is what a lot of people really say makes a lot more sense. And so I've heard a lot of that. And so it'll be interesting to see in like the post COVID life that we're living, how if, you know, that as many people as before are going to keep going to physical culinary school. You know what I mean? Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I, you know, culinary school, th- it's, it definitely has its, it serves its purpose to, you know, those who may not have had experience in kitchens before. It also doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go to culinary school and then open up a restaurant. You know, there are plenty of people who go work to go work in hotels or go work on boats or become sommeliers or um, managers of hotels and culinary school, actually is probably a really great base for, uh, an occupation like that.
1: Right. Um,
3: so, but I've, but I've heard people, you know, from all different backgrounds and experience levels, uh, say various things that it really helped them. And it also didn't help them. So it's, I think it just really depends on what your needs are, you know, and who, who you are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you, leave culinary school and start working in restaurants and then i guess what happened from there did you kind of start honing in on a certain type of cuisine or kind of i'm trying to piece together i guess what led you from then to now of you know opening your own spot and really focusing on the you know eastern european side of your heritage i guess what was kind of the in between there
3: yeah so i always um i always knew that i'd probably wind up in new york i uh, just have family here and this was i mean i still believe and i know this is controversial that new york is the the food capital of <laughs> the country i, mean, I agree
1: i agree <laughs> yeah
3: i mean there are, there are naysayers um but i knew that i just wanted to work in kitchens um throughout new york and uh so that's what i did and i didn't really um Start focusing on a cuisine or na- narrowing down my my options um, until I worked for a chef that pretty much point blank just told me that I should do that, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's that's probably a good idea." Um, and I was in the Strand bookstore. Uh, for for those who don't know, the Strand bookstore is a right below Union Square, uh, and it's a large, large old bookstore. And I found a copy of uh, George Lang's Cuisine of Hungary. And George Lang was uh, a restaurateur, a Hungarian restaurateur who was pretty, pretty big in like the 80s and the 90s. And he had a, a restaurant in on the Upper West Side. And he wrote this very lengthy book that was very niche and very specific and all about Hungarian food history and it's it shocked me because I had never really thought about it I mean you know growing up my grandmother did and didn't talk about her culture mm-hmm. so I didn't really know it was something that was maybe out in the world so uh, long story short I got the book and read the whole thing and was like I think there's 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 something here there's some substance um, you know Eastern European food is, can be regarded as very heavy and meat focused, right. um, fried foods, which it is. Um, but there is this whole other side to it, especially now with a the younger generation where it's becoming more vegetable and, and fruit forward and lots more going on in the fermentation and pickle department. And I just, uh, I saw an opportunity to incorporate that into you know the chef that I was becoming. So cool. that's
1: how that happened. Really cool. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the menu for your restaurant. And it doesn't. It is quite different than what I would have, I guess, imagined if you just hear, you know, Hungarian restaurants. <laughs> it's very. Yeah. It, it's it's more, I guess, robust than that. And so, is that kind of a goal of yours to share with the world that you know this Eastern Eastern European cuisine style doesn't is not as I guess, like, as you describe it, heavy, as people may think? Or what is kind of your goal with this?
3: Yeah, it's hmm. so I've I've struggled with this uh, for, for now, like a good portion of my career. And mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, if you I don't, I've never claimed to be fully uh, the food that I cook, I, I've never claimed to be, you know, 100% authentic. I'm not traditionally it's not traditionally Hungarian you're not gonna come and find all these like veal and uh, you know d- deer and uh, ox yeah. and all these heavy stews and you're not you're not gonna find that um, because I because food is such a it's such a personal thing it's such a personal experience and I I don't you know I think chefs especially now, Uh, this generation of chefs are not defined by one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So when somebody is like, oh, you're the Hungarian chef. I'm like, no, I'm not. Actually, I'm not necessarily the Hungarian (laughs) chef. (laughs) I'm I'm, this Hungarian, Eastern European, Jewish. um, There's all these kind of like facets to me and to my story. So um, so when somebody... Sorry. No, you're fine. Knock my headphones off because I'm really passionate. <laughs> oh, you're like um, talking with
1: your hands and knocking.
3: <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh so yeah, I think that there's so many different aspects to to my story. So when somebody looks at the menu, which like on our daytime menu, we have a tuna melt. And I grew up eating tuna melts at a diner mm-hmm. uh, or a Jewish deli. And uh, somebody will come up to me and be like, tuna melts aren't Hungarian and I was like yeah they're not <laughs> but, <laughs> like that's okay <laughs> so um but it's a damn good tuna melt and like you know there's at at night um our menu gets a little bit more wine bar oh, uh, cool. sh- chic chic grandma candles uh all lit
1: Love that. so
3: um and for dinner you know there I, there's also drawing from different ingredients, uh, from Eastern European, uh, like Eastern European flavors. So caraway and, and dill and beet, right? Like those are to me, very obvious staples in the, in the ingredient realm. Um, I play with those in different, in different ways, and they may end up on a dish that isn't necessarily, you know, traditional or, uh, you know, Eastern European, but I'm just stretching those flavors that are the core and the, of the inspiration and then just working with them in ways that I want to. So, um, I don't know, at least to me, that's, that's what I'm doing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, very, very cool. And I mean, the menu I have it up now is very, very interesting. And it seems like you're, you've kind of explained in a great way how you are kind of trying to be this kaleidoscope of things. You're not just one color, you have a lot of different influences and inspirations. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of times, yeah, an authentic X restaurant is great, but so are these, you know, kind of different fusion creative style, um, restaurants. I mean, i and it all sounds delicious to me, so I'm like, it tastes good. I don't care what country it's from, you know? right. <laughs> it There great. are people
3: who do care. Yeah. There are people, and I, I mean, when we first opened our doors, I, uh, I don't know if he'll, I don't know if he'll listen to this, but there was a food writer that did um, come to the front door with his wife and his baby, and he said to me, um, "Your palachinta, which is, I, I like." they're hungarian crepes Uh and my grandmother made them for breakfast and for dessert and he said well your palachinta is not authentic and i'm very disappointed and i was just like you know months if not you know a year and a half of like working towards opening this restaurant and i was tired working like 24 hours uh around the clock and i just was like great thank you goodbye and like i just can't like you know and it just but there are people out there who who really do care about the authenticity and the which does matter in certain aspects and I think that's like a rabbit hole we won't go down but you know it's a, it's okay to not be to not play by the rules uh in this in like in this scenario so you know the fact that I and and he was talking about something like you know that I added pear to a crate and which is not traditional it's just like So, I've dealt with a lot of that, which is like a lot of like silly kind of comments like that. (laughs) Interesting.
1: Okay. Well, it is. I mean, you did mention that it's a bit of a rabbit hole. And like, I totally, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, like, I don't own a restaurant. I didn't go to culinary school. That's not my path, but I do work in the culinary world as well. And as a, you know, food content creator working for a food media company and, you know, posting my own content, that happens a lot on the internet as well. Like, say, if I make a, I don't know, Something from Mexican cuisine, and it's not exactly as someone's grandmother made it. It's like there's so many different ways and techniques that, even within the same culture, if you're doing it authentically, so and so, like there's different regions of that country that do it differently. There's different families that do it differently. You know, my mom doesn't, my mom's not even Italian, but she doesn't add breadcrumbs to her meatballs because that's just not how she likes them. You know, it's like there's so many different things and different twists that you can put on every single dish infinitely to what you like. And I, you know, I, it's kind of interesting to hear you talk about dealing with that as a restaurateur, because that's, you know, something that we deal a lot with in, you know, online content as well. So it seems like it's a, There's no end (laughs) ever to like the level of scrutiny that comes with like making food of a certain, you know, cuisine or culture. It's like wherever you're doing it, whoever you're doing it for, someone's gonna have something to say, and that's just our cross to bear, I guess. Yeah, that's just what it is. So, oh well. (laughs) What can we do? All right, we're gonna take a quick break and hear from our sponsors.
2: This episode is brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. An incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit RT11.com.
1: So now that you have the restaurant, um, I guess, when did you open it?
3: So we opened on november 8th uh, of last year 2021 so we're coming up on our one year uh, in just a few short weeks so very exciting and uh we're planning on having a big party um that will be open to the public so um i'm looking forward to that
1: congratulations that's so exciting
3: thank you yeah it's been a it has been a whirlwind uh i mean certainly nobody uh said that opening up a restaurant is easy Uh (laughs) and And this business in general is not easy. So, um, but if anything, I think I've really, I, in just this very quick year, uh, feel like I have grown as a first time restaurateur and I've, I've learned so much. And I, you know, every day is just something completely new and different. Um, so yeah. And, but I'm, but I'm also incredibly fortunate to have a great staff and an amazing sous chef, an amazing partner that's helped us through uh, really everything. So I'm very lucky.
1: And so what was it like? I mean, I, I lived in New York for many years. I just haven't for the last year or so. Um, I'm back in Florida. I'm in Fort Lauderdale right now, as we speak, (laughs) um, killing, Mm -hmm. I was in between leases and kind of came home to be with my family for a bit for the holidays last year. And since rents got so bad in New York, I'm like, oh, let's hold on a little bit and see what we want to do. So anyway, but yeah, New York is, you know, in my heart, my home. And it was very, very interesting to see, you know, late 2020 and into 2021, how many new restaurants were popping up. Obviously we all mourned and, you know, grieved over the restaurants that closed during the pandemic, but it was almost like this new read this Phoenix out of the ashes or whatever of restaurants just popping up. And it seems like it's been kind of a restaurant Renaissance, not to be all cliche about it in New York. So what was that kind of like for you of being kind of part of that and opening at that time that where things were so dicey, I guess.
3: Yeah. Well, when I first started funding the restaurant. We, we funded the restaurant, um, the, the seed money, um, we, we did through Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So, and at, and at the time I was actually in LA, uh, my, my boyfriend, uh, and also my business partner, Michael, ha, had, it still has a job in LA, uh, though he is now by coastal. Um, but we were living out there and we were planning to come back to New York for the restaurant. Um, but I had spoke, I was talking to a lot of, friends and colleagues and everyone just kept saying that there will be a big boom of restaurants Mm -hmm. and lo and behold they were right um and i wanted to very much so ride that wave um because i felt like going into this kind of new new vision of the food world which it felt like and i still think it feels like that um you know, I, I, really wanted to be a part yeah. of that. So, um, even though it was during a global yeah. pandemic, <laughs> uh, it just in, in my gut felt like the right time. And I mean, sure, there were a lot of people that, you know, told me that was absolutely crazy and nuts, uh, which it is. And, um, but yeah, I mean, as we opened up, I mean, we, you know, I don't know if I, we technically are still in the pandemic. Right. I don't know at what point we are in, but so I don't know how to like timeline right. this. Um but we opened up in a time that felt like there was this lull. Um so we still were, you know, everyone was wearing masks and we were doing checking vaccination cards, yeah. but I think we you know, I mean just fortunately uh, for us, it just had kind of timed out where like, there wasn't this mass hysteria, Mm -hmm. like in the opening, but yeah, we did go through another rise. You know, I'm just saying compared to like what restaurants that, you know, are are here, were here in New York, um, went through at the beginning was, you know, just seems a million times worse than I could have ever imagined like the outdoor uh, so
1: dining and having to, the the way that exactly. they had to all just completely evolve into like, okay, now we're building like snow globes outside so that people can eat outside during the winter. Like, yeah, that was insane. So it seems like you missed most of that.
3: Yeah. And, you know, we went through, you know, we did go through a spike and we, we did have, you know, unfortunately we did have COVID cases and we had, did have to shut down. But yeah, I mean, when folks ask me that, I, I always, I mean, I just think about the the chefs and the business owners that, um, went through it when it was so much more extreme. And, and, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't go through that myself on to that degree. So, uh, um, we were a bit luckier. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So now that, you know, it's, you know, you've made it, it's been a year and, you know, I assume successful. So congratulations on all of that. Um, how does it feel kind of looking back on the last year of just kind of like what you've accomplished, you know, what you've, you know, what reviews of the restaurant has, have been like, what does it kind of feel like to look back at this point?
3: Um, it feels like in some ways it's been 10 years and other days it feels like it's been like a day or a week. Um, it all has blurred together. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just very excited for the future of August. I think if if anything, you know, this last year has just really proven that, people really dig what we're doing and and they get it which is kind of surprising to me which I know <laughs> I was someone who obviously opened up this restaurant and and lives and breathes it I, I should be like yeah well that makes sense to me but <laughs> you know there there are days like when you know you know we have a tongue we have tongue on the menu like braised tongue and we have deviled eggs and there's anchovies and things that like people I think people mostly would turn their heads yeah. to but but we like sell out of it. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm borscht and we've had chilled borscht, we have hot borscht and like, I, people are just really into this sort of food. And that has just made it all the more worth it uh, to go through everything that we did to get here. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, uh, very grateful.
1: Yeah, my Oh, my gosh, my I'm looking at your menu, my dad is gonna lose his mind. He's always been like, you know, wanting to eat the tongue sandwiches and the borscht. And we've all, you know, growing up, He, had, I'm one of three, three girls. So, you know, of course, just like mm-hmm. three little girls growing up in South Florida, <laughs> we would be like, Ew, like, Ew, <laughs> Ew, what are you doing? Right. Like at the deli, you know, we're all eating just like eggs and turkey sandwiches and he's getting the tongue <laughs> sandwich and the borscht and all this, that and the other. Um, so yeah, he would lose his mind over this menu.
3: <laughs> so, Oh, good. You can I know. In.
1: I know. I'm like, I'm dying to move back to New York. I'm just kind of waiting for the right, I guess, moment or.
3: Understood. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty crazy. It is crazy here. It is wildly expensive. Yes. Um, just, I mean, just to own a business, mm-hmm. but even just to, you know, live here and, you know, we have a lot of staff that ha- that goes to school and are paying tuition. So it's, it's a lot. It's, it's very, um, very expensive yeah (laughs) yeah so
1: you know luckily I have a great relationship with my family so living at home with them for the time being is fun it's not like we're like killing each other but I'm like as as chic (laughs) as it is that I'm 29 and living with my parents um should probably like figure that out (laughs) at some point no there's
3: (laughs) no I mean, like the New York Times, I think there, I read an article about it that a lot of, of the younger generation is kind of like living at home now in order to like, I mean, think about it, so many people paying off debt yes. and whatever. So it's, you know, it's yeah, okay. Um, it's okay.
1: I'll be back eventually. I literally was just in yeah. town. um Like I just got back two days ago. I was there for two weeks. I go a lot because a lot of my friends are still there. And I'm like, I need to hang out with people my own age for a little bit (laughs) and socialize a bit. And I mean, you know, the food scene down here does not even like hold a candle to what it is in New York. No offense to South Florida, but it's just as you and I agreed on first thing, you know, that's the best food scene in the country, in our opinion. So, yeah, I definitely miss Mm -hmm. it all the time. Um, so what are you kind of hopeful for looking forward? Do you want, like, what are your big lofty ambitious goals to have multiple restaurants or just to kind of ride this one through or what, what are you kind of hopeful for?
3: Uh, I just want to afford to be able to turn on our lights (laughs) in the (laughs) morning. No, and things are, no. And like, I, that's, that's always my response (laughs) to to that question, which is like partly it's true. Um, you know, uh, we're still going through our first year and, and we're doing, we're doing okay. Um, and if anything, we're, you know, our, the reviews and everything have been just so amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes it's hard to see past tomorrow. Um, but I know I, I'm seeing my, uh, my boyfriend, Michael's face being like, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> and I, he doesn't, he doesn't love when I start coming up with a, new ideas. Cause he's like, we just have to get through this first. And I was like, no, I know. And and yes we do. Um, but I am working on, um, I'm working on my cookbook, which will come out in 2024. So oh, that's really like
1: exciting. the, the
3: other uh, part of my life that uh, really has just begun. So I'm excited to hop on that. And also, yeah, I mean, we've talked about like, other iterations of, of Aggies or like smaller Aggies. Um, but um, I would love to have another restaurant one day, potentially. I mean, if I could really dream, it would be like one in upstate New York. That's kind of all about like, uh, you know, like hearth cooking, mm-hmm. but like Eastern European style, cool. like very fishermen. Um, so that's, that's kind of like a, that's a far off dream right now. I just need to worry about, uh getting through tonight's service yes. <laughs> turning the lights on and off and uh and writing this cookbook which is that's uh, a
1: beast in and of itself so good luck
3: <laughs> thank you yeah, I'm uh I'm j- scared but also thrilled to, to take the ride
1: yeah so. no I mean it's it's a beast but it'll be worth it in the end and I'm excited to see how that comes out. I'm sure that's going to be awesome. So yeah, you've got a lot of stuff in the works and I totally get the sentiment whenever people ask me what, what I want in five years, I'm like, I don't even know what I want in five minutes. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. And maybe that's like a millennial thing of us where we're like very present minded and just like one thing at a time. But I totally understand you are preaching to the choir. <laughs>
3: um, yeah, well, I need to. Um. Yeah, it's it will it, I think I do have to focus and be in the moment for sure. Uh, I, you know, as a chef and, and you just like your brain is always scattered yes. and you're always running across the room um, and there's 10 different people talking to you at mm-hmm. once. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's good to, to be able to focus on one thing at a time.
1: That's a nice, <laughs> nice idea. Yes. Well, is there anything else important about your culinary journey or story that I didn't ask you?
3: I don't think so I, I think you covered everything all right. so oh, high points I appreciate that thank
1: you <laughs> yeah thanks so much for kind of taking me through step by step I it was a an interesting but exciting journey it seems to get to where you are now and I'm just happy to hear that everything's going well and you know wish you luck on everything you've got cooking literally and figuratively <laughs> and excited to see how it all goes
3: yeah, well, you'll have to let me know when you're in town and uh, bring your dad along. I'll make sure I got a tongue sandwich. Oh on Oh my menu. god, he
1: will literally lose his mind. He's—I give him a hard time because even when I did live there, he didn't—they didn't come visit me enough. They're like, "Why would we come to New York? Come visit us in Florida. The weather's nicer." I'm like, "You guys have no idea what you're missing."
3: <laughs> yeah, no, it's hard to get Floridians out of that right? mindset. It's not worth it. Um, uh, We—I sh- mean, it's a whole other podcast. I know. On- on south florida like <laughs> shenanigans like i mean really yeah we could
1: like team up for a podcast duo just like life growing up in south florida in the 90s is like a whole vibe i mean
3: so many guests i mean it would be great
1: so. <laughs> well thank you so much for being here and sharing everything with me it's been an absolute pleasure i appreciate you
3: thank you so much alexa
1: Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the FeedFeed, Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The FeedFeed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network.